Well, it's great to be here this morning at uh, Grace Bible Church, and so grateful that uh, my good friend Chad uh, Poe, your wonderful pastor, invited me to, to speak here. I'm honored to be here uh, this morning. You have a wonderful, uh, great, uh, great ministry here that God has given you, and uh, I'm especially thankful for what God is doing in your midst, but I'm even more thankful that you are the town that gave us Bucky's, so... <laughs> Just want to say thank you for that. Uh, that's a that's an important thing uh, contribution to the world. Um, I come from uh, Dallas Fort Worth area. We live in Fort Worth. My wife and four kids. Uh, I teach at Southwestern Seminary. I lead the I'm the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement. We moved here in um, June. Uh, prior to that, I was in, we were in Nashville for about nine years. I worked for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, and then I pastored in Chicago for a number of years. I'm from Chicago originally. Don't hold that against me. Um, go Cubs. Um, my wife is from Fort Worth, though. And so she is back in Texas after 25 years in exile. So she's pretty grateful about that. You know, when we first dated... You know, she would talk all about Texas. We were in Chicago at the time. And she said, oh, man, I just love Texas. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm from Illinois. I like my state, too. That's great. You know, she's like, no, you don't understand. You don't get it. You know, like, loving Texas, it's a thing, you know. So after 20 years of being married to her, I I finally get it, why people love Texas so much. So we're glad to be here and uh, glad to be here this morning to talk about Christmas and specifically to preach on the life of Joseph. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read here uh, Matthew 1. And uh, if you want to just uh, follow along as I read, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Reading from the Christian Standard Bible, which is, I think, according to the Baptist, the inspired original version, right? Um, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord, the Lord's angel, had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for the good news of the gospel. We're thankful for the true story of Christmas, the incarnation of the Son of God, that that God became flesh and dwelt, that you visited us in our distress, in our squalor, in our sin, in our uh, dysfunction and broken world. And Lord, I just pray today as we open up your word and we, we, we study the life of Joseph, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would fall afresh on us today and we would discover uh, precious truths about you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I, you know, I don't know about you, but um, Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Christmas story, um, partly because I feel like he gets sort of overlooked. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in church, and uh, 
our church had a huge Christmas production every year. I mean, huge, like, you know, camels and smoke machines and, you know, all kinds of things. And, you know, as a kid, I always got drafted into the, into the Christmas story. So I, in my life, I've played a variety of characters in the Christmas story, but I have played Joseph. And uh, one time, I was in middle school, and I played Joseph, and this uh, classmate of mine played Mary. And I had one line in the whole thing, and my, my line was, hey, there's no hay in this manger, um, which I executed flawlessly, I, I must say. Um, what was funny is it was middle school and hadn't hit puberty yet, so my voice was really kind of squeaky high for middle school boy. And my... Um, fellow cast member who played Mary, her voice was actually lower, so they had to ask her to like, you know, make her voice higher so that didn't embarrass me. Um, that's the extent of my acting career. Uh, but Joseph is kind of obscure. There's not a lot of songs written about Joseph. I think Michael Card wrote one about 20 years ago. A lot of songs written about Mary, and I love Mary. Uh, I do love Mary Did You Know as well, that song. And Some people have strong feelings about that, but I think that's a good song. But anyways... Not a ton written about Joseph, but I think he's an example of, a, of faithfulness uh, and uh, saying yes to God and obeying God. And so I'm um, excited to talk about him this morning. You know, reading the text here in Matthew, we don't know exactly how Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. I think it's funny when Matthew's writing this gospel, how he sums up all this, the awkwardness of the moment with the kind of understated phrase, it was discovered. And I always read that and wonder, well, how was it discovered? You know, how did Joseph find out that Mary was pregnant? It just said it was discovered. Uh, that, that, that phrase is doing a lot of work here. Joseph had not yet had the benefit of an angelic visit. He, he only had the word of Mary whom he hardly knew. You know, even though they were engaged to be married, the custom of those days was that in the year uh, between the engagement and the consummation of their marriage, the bride and groom actually spent little time together. So imagine his shock when Mary told him that she was pregnant. You know, unlike today, where it's, it's sort of assumed that couples who are engaged or dating uh, have intimate relationships, uh, Joseph and Mary did not. And so Joseph likely responded to what she said with stunned silence. And she told him then, not only was she pregnant, but her baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, now you imagine his response, right? Mary's telling him that she saw an angel and it's, this baby's conceived by the Holy Spirit. She even wrote a song of celebration. But Joseph was probably not in any mood to party, right? Uh, Joseph wasn't singing uh, about Christmas. That is the most wonderful time of the year. Um, he's probably thinking, Mary, are you serious? How could you do this to me? What do you mean you're still a virgin? That's impossible. Who did this to you? Where is this guy? You know, we read Matthew's account with the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight, right? We're going through our Advent readings and planning our Christmas calendar. We're putting up cute little nativity scenes and having our kids dress up like Joseph and Mary. But in this moment, when the, the shock of his situation hit him, Joseph couldn't see ahead toward what God was doing in the world through his seemingly inconsequential life. This is a... Ordinary couple in a backwater province in the Roman 
empire. They had no agency, no voice, no podcasts or books or blogs or big titles. Um, They're just regular people. And the child inside his fiancée was the son of God. This child, you know, for him, he's processing all this. This child may be the son of God. This child might be the true and better David. This child might be saving the people from their sins and renewing and restoring the world. But for Joseph, in this moment, this was his worst nightmare. One commentator says that the breaking of a betrothal like this was considered worse than breaking a business contract. So if you're Joseph, you feel betrayed, you feel alone, you feel stuck. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Put yourself in his sandals, if you will. Joseph hadn't seen any angels yet. He was just faithfully living his life, working as a carpenter, doing his best to build a life for his family and to honor God. He trusted Mary to be faithful and devout and pledged his life to her. And yet now it seems like all this is falling apart. Matthew says in, one, in verse 20, 1 verse 20, that Joseph considered these things. <laughs> Joseph had some serious thinking to do, as you can imagine. This is yet another understatement by, by Matthew. And we don't know how long God waited between Gabriel's visit to Mary and the angelic visit to Joseph. You know, when we read the text, it all kind of flows together. But was it weeks? Was it days? Was it? I'm guessing he didn't get much sleep in those intervening nights. A time of uncertainty and confusion. We can imagine him pacing his house, restless. As Matthew says, considering these things. Joseph really only had two choices here. In those days, if a betrothed bride were found to have committed adultery, there were really two options. Um, The plan of action most men would have taken is quite drastic. Joseph could publicly shame her by bringing her before the religious authorities, which would result in the forfeiture of her dowry that he paid to her father and possibly even her death by stoning. Recall the example in John chapter 8 of the adulterous woman where they bring her out and they're about ready to stone her. The the other alternative would be to divorce her privately. He would still endure embarrassment uh, in his community and would face questions of his peers and family for what went wrong, but he'd be obeying his conscience and doing what is best for Mary. Matthew tells us that Joseph was righteous and he tells tells us this before This is key. He tells us before Joseph was told of Jesus' supernatural birth, before the angel came. Joseph was righteous because he was both committed to following the law of God in this matter and committed to doing it in the most selfless, compassionate way. You see, we don't know much about Joseph because the story of Christmas is not about Joseph. It's about Jesus. But we do know this. He was a faithful follower of God who would do the right thing when it cost him the most. He would be a faithful steward of the Son of God. There's much to stop and commend here in this 
seeming footnote to the Christmas story. Joseph didn't make a decision out of immediate anger. He wasn't irrational and unstable. For a young man who had just seen his life turned upside down, he demonstrated remarkable grace and poise. He took time and assessed the situation, and seeing the humanity of Mary, made the choice that would be the worst choice for him, but the best choice for her. Of course, ultimately we know that Joseph didn't go through with the divorce, because God would send a heavenly messenger to visit him, just as an angel visited Mary. This time God spoke to Joseph through a dream, which helps us recall a heavenly word spoken to another Joseph back in Genesis. And just as Jacob's son in Genesis would be asked by God to endure a difficult life that he did not envision and to bear the shame of sins that he did not commit, so too would this young Joseph. And notice how the angel addresses his subject. He refers to Joseph as a son of David. You see, God didn't just pick any first century Jewish man to steward the life of his son, but he picked a faithful son of David. The only other person in the New Testament who's referred to as the son of David is Jesus. This title came with authority, reminding Joseph of his royal lineage and preparing him for the task ahead. This is also Matthew telling us that Jesus was a rightful son of David. That he was in the line of David. He was the promised Messiah. Something that Paul would later affirm when he said in Romans that Jesus is a son of David according to the flesh. In Romans 1.3. Then the angel assured Joseph that the baby in Mary's womb was not the fruit of sin, but was conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. Yes, that far-fetched story that Mary told Joseph earlier was actually true. She'd been chosen by God as the mother of Jesus. We don't know how this made Joseph feel. The text doesn't say. We don't know if he recalled back the scriptures, if he read in the, in the temple, that he had read in the temple and the words of the prophet that described the future Messiah coming as a young virgin in Isaiah 7. But just in case, the angel reminded him and recalled these scriptures. I wonder if this reality overwhelmed him. If he's sitting there in the moment, if he's thinking all the prophecies, all the things that were foretold, the, the, the promised one is here in this moment. And I have been chosen to be part of this story. This was, as Paul would later say in Galatians, the fullness of time, the exact right time. The march of salvation history, the fulfillment of prophecy, the long-awaited promise was on Joseph's doorstep and in his life. What a holy moment that must have been for Joseph. What a time to both celebrate with holy awe and kneel in humble adoration. And this should cause us to stop and worship as well. This is why we slow down in December and feel the anticipation of Old Testament saints as they awaited Jesus' first advent. The life of Joseph reminds us that Ultimately, God is faithful to His promises. You see, these words spoken by Isaiah and the prophets were not just inspirational tidings to put on holiday cards and Christmas ornaments and coffee mugs, but they were a continuation of God's promise to send a Redeemer, an Emmanuel, a God-man, to live among us and, as the angel said, to save God's people from her sins. This is why Matthew opens with such a bold claim that this son of a carpenter from Nazareth 
was no ordinary man, but was a king in the line of David, a fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus had to be virgin-born in order to, because he had to be free of the inherited curse of sin. As the new Adam, he would fulfill what the first Adam could not do. He would defeat the straps, the human race. Matthew sets Jesus forth in the angel's words to Joseph as the rightful king come to save his people. He is the creator, recreating and restoring what sin has corrupted. This is the essence of the Christmas season. This is why we gather and worship this time of year. The angel reminded Joseph that this was no ordinary birth. And his role would be that of no ordinary father. And yet in telling Joseph to name the baby Jesus, he was reminding Joseph of his stewardship. You see, it was the father who named the sons in those days, and by naming him, would essentially adopt Jesus. Unlike other earthly fathers, he would not be able to pick a name of his choosing. And yet like Adam, whom God tasked with naming the animals, Joseph would be assigned a leadership role in naming the future son of God. Joseph, son of Adam, would steward this baby who would fulfill what the first Adam could not fulfill. So what's Joseph's response? I find it interesting the way the angel appealed to Joseph in confirming the news of Mary's pregnancy. First, as we noted above, as we, as we just said, uh, he called him son of David. He's saying, you are of royal ancestry. He's saying to Joseph, he's saying to the scared young man, you are part of the people of God. This is part of God's story. Then second, he appeals to him based on Scripture. The angel reminds him this is happening to fulfill Scripture. This tells us two things, about the, I, I believe, about the man who would be the earthly guardian of Jesus. He knew who he was as a son of David. And he was committed to Scripture. And this is, this is what we remind ourselves on Sunday, right? We come and gather and are reminded of who we are, that we're the people of God. And we gather around a book, what the Bible says. You see, an ungodly person would have, might have reacted to this assignment, this difficult assignment, by saying... Man, I don't care what the Bible says. This is how I feel. I don't want to do this. This is going to be hard and difficult. We may not vocalize it that way, but that is often our attitude when God approaches us with something difficult and hard. You know, when we, when we sin, when we go against God, when we don't listen to His voice, in many ways, we're forgetting who we are as the people of God. Joseph's response was what you'd expect from a devout son of God committed to the Scriptures. He immediately obeyed. Matthew tells us that, quote, when Joseph woke up, he did immediately what the Lord commanded him. Immediate obedience to a difficult mission. You contrast this response to the prophet Jonah, who was also called to a difficult mission. Jonah didn't wake up and go to Nineveh, Nineveh immediately. He, 
tried to find a way around God's mission. Joseph was also a man of few words. We don't know much about him at all. But we do know that he was a man of simple faithfulness. He did the next right thing in front of him. And really, so much about following God in this life is just asking him and saying, what is the next right thing in front of me? Right? He couldn't forecast all that would happen with his life. He didn't know how this was all going to work out. He didn't know how he would live in his community, how people would react. But he did the next right thing. And let's consider what he was signing up for here. This was no easy assignment. By marrying Mary, he would be subject to endless scrutiny. If you think Joseph reacted strangely to Mary's conception, news of conception by the Holy Spirit, how well do you think others in his immediate circle would react, right? How do you think his family's going to react? His parents, his siblings, his co-workers, right? Unlike Joseph, they didn't get the benefit of an angelic visit. They'd either have to take his word or they'd reject him. You see, in listening to the voice of God... Joseph was giving up his reputation. Tim Keller writes about the significance of this. He says, Everyone in this shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know that she was already pregnant. That would mean either Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage, or she was unfaithful to him, and as, as a result they were going to be shamed, socially excluded, and rejected. They will be second-class citizens forever. This is what he's signing up for. By saying yes to God, Joseph was saying no to everything he had worked for up to this point. He was saying no to his reputation in the community. You see, it's easy for us to read through this and glance over the story, not give it another thought as, as we read part of Matthew's gospel this, Christ, this Christmas. But we should consider how significant Joseph's obedience was. Joseph would be a pariah among his own people. He would bear the shame for sins that he did not commit. And yet it only foreshadows the shame that this baby would one day bear on behalf of Joseph and Mary and all who know Jesus. This is why Jesus would later sweat drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus would literally become sin for his people so much so that the father who cannot abide sin turned his face away from his own son. The prophet Isaiah said of Jesus, he was despised and rejected of men. Listen to the way the hymn writer describes Jesus' shame in going to the cross. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a savior. You see, Joseph could bear the shame in answering God's call. And we can bear the shame. That sometimes comes with being a Christian in a world that increasingly doesn't like Christianity. We can do that because Jesus first bore our shame. We can live as outcasts in a world dominated by evil because Jesus was the ultimate outcast. We will never be alone because Jesus on the cross was alone. 
Joseph would not only lose his reputation, he would lose his comfort and safety. To preserve his reputation, he would not be intimate with Mary until Jesus was born. This was not something the angel told him to do, but he went above and beyond what was required in order to to say yes to God. You see, rather than asking, how do I feel? What makes me feel good? Joseph continually asked, what is the right and best thing to do in this moment? We learn later in Matthew that once Herod, the wicked king, learned of the birth of Jesus, he was so threatened by Jesus that he, he was forced to take the young infant and his wife Mary and leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. And again, we tend to pass over this detail as we read Scripture, but let's imagine the difficulty of travel in those days. The added expenses, the severing of ties with family and friends. And yet when the angel appeared to Joseph in another dream, Joseph didn't hesitate to take his family and go to Egypt. Now listen, we just completed a a 14-hour drive from Fort Worth to to Chicago to see my family over Thanksgiving in in a nice minivan with creature comforts and buckies along the way. In those days, travel was much harder, and yet Joseph didn't hesitate. Again, immediately, he obeyed the voice of God and went to Egypt. And in this journey to Egypt, we, we once again see echoes of the Old Testament where another Joseph was summoned to do a hard life in Egypt in order to save the people of God. And we're reminded of Abraham and Isaac's journey to Egypt for food in the midst of famine. This is why Hosea references this history when he says of God's care for Israel, out of Egypt I have called my son. This is a fulfillment of all those foreshadowings and prophecy. This speaks to Joseph's faithfulness and character. He put the interests of his family above his own comfort. I'm sure the transient nature of his travels in those days hurt his carpentry business. I'm sure he lost accounts because of people hearing what's going on. We don't want to associate with that shady that shady dude. Living as a refugee in Egypt where he likely joined other Jewish exiles probably made his life more difficult. And yet even though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, he was Jesus' earthly father in every sense of the word. He adopted Jesus as his own and he cared for him. You can see this because the genealogies use Joseph's name to trace Jesus' heritage. Now look, I'm a father of four. I have three uh, teens and one preteen, so pray for me. If you're a parent or you help care for kids, you know that parenting is often difficult and hard. But imagine for a moment the difficulty of parenting the Son of God. Right? I mean, I can tell my son, hey, hey buddy, I love you, but she ain't perfect. Joseph couldn't tell that to Jesus. We don't have much in Scripture that tells us what Jesus' childhood looks like. We only have his birth and his travel to Egypt as an infant and then his time at the temple at the age of 12. But we can assume that Joseph was a good father to Jesus in every sense of the word. Even though Jesus was the Son of God, as, as a fully human young man, he had to learn and grow. Luke tells us that he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. By all accounts, Jesus was an ordinary boy. Boy, Consider the ways that um, his peers reacted when he returned to Nazareth and began his earthly ministry. Read this in Matthew chapter 13. 
And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom? And these mighty works. Is, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You notice what they said? Is not this the carpenter's son? When Jesus began his earthly ministry, it was his father who was better known than he was. Jesus was in his childhood defined by his father. It's hard for us to fathom, but Jesus, fully God and fully human, likely learned what, most of what he knew from Joseph. The scripture he quoted when he was tempted in the wilderness, he probably learned at the foot of his father. The care he showed toward the weak and vulnerable was probably first modeled by the self-sacrifice of his earthly father. What's more, it seems that in his childhood, it seems like he was indistinguishable from his siblings. That's what they're saying in Luke 2. Hey, we know his brothers and sisters. We know that family. They're nothing special. So maybe I'm reading a lot into this text, but I do think that while Joseph seemed to understand the difficult calling of raising the Son of God, he seems to have parented Jesus with the same care he gave to his other children, who were not divine, who, who were his own flesh and blood. He didn't favor Jesus, but he didn't ignore him because he wasn't his own biological child. Je Joseph <clears throat> exhibited the true spirit of adoption. It's a vivid picture both of God's adoption of us as his children in Christ, but also the call of every believer, the call that every believer has in welcoming into our homes and communities and churches the world's most vulnerable and forgotten. It was Jesus' brother James who would later write that true religion is defined by care for orphans and widows. We can assume without stretching the story too much that Joseph patiently fathered Jesus, teaching him the Old Testament scriptures, teaching him to build his building his carpentry shop, and modeling for his young son what faithful manhood looks like. Perhaps one of the reasons the rabbis in the temple were so impressed with Jesus was because of this. Yes, his teachings were that of the supernatural. This was God in the flesh. This is God in the flesh. But I wonder if he was able to recall some of that Old Testament due to the teaching he heard at the foot of his father. Ultimately, we don't really know what happens to Joseph after he's mentioned in that visit by Jesus to the temple where they lost Jesus. Kind of a scary moment, right? I mean, I've lost my kids in the mall. You get a little nervous, and then you find them. Uh, imagine losing the Son of God. I mean, if you're Joseph and Mary, you're sweating that a little bit. Um, that was before they had Life 360, and you could just sort of track them on their phones, right? Um, but after this episode Joseph doesn't show up again in the scriptures and scholars have speculated that perhaps he met an untimely death you know life expectancy for, for men at that in that time was was pretty low every other passage of scripture after this where the family's featured it's only Mary and Jesus' siblings who are mentioned it could be that losing his father was Jesus' first instance of experiencing what it's like 
as a human to suffer great loss. It also seems like there's some tension between Jesus and his brothers who are mentioned at one point not believing in his divinity and even calling him crazy in Mark chapter 3. When Jesus speaks of the gospel, sometimes dividing families, he's perhaps speaking of his own family. Could this be because Joseph had passed from the scene and wasn't there as sort of the glue to hold them together as an earthly father? We don't know. Would he have rebuked Jesus' siblings for rejecting him? Perhaps. We don't know. Perhaps the most poignant absence of Joseph, however, comes at Calvary. Or just before dying, he asked his best friend John... Jesus asks his best friend John to care for Mary. He says, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. In this we see Jesus not only caring for Mary's personal care, but also we see the absence of Joseph. With Joseph gone, it's Jesus, first, it's Jesus' responsibility to make sure his mother is cared for when he's gone. In this, Jesus was following the law that required children to physically care for their parents in their old age. But he was also following the example of his own father and ensuring that the welfare of those that God had entrusted to his care is okay, is secure. So this is Joseph's legacy, barely mentioned in scripture, forgotten mostly in church history, but remembered by God as a faithful servant. And you know, it's interesting to me, and it strikes me that most of the body of Christ are people like Joseph. Obscure, ordinary living the life, their lives for the Lord the best they can. And for Joseph, God was writing a story in his life that was part of the grand story of Christmas. You know, the kingdom of God mostly is built upon ordinary, faithful Christians of whom the world is not worthy. People like you. People like Christians around the world serving faithfully, putting their yes on the table and, and saying yes to God in obedience, sometimes in very difficult assignments. Some of you are like Joseph today, that God has come into your life and he's, he's given you a difficult assignment. Maybe it's a severely disabled child. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's the loss of a husband or wife. Maybe it's a difficult marriage. Maybe it's economic distress. I don't know what it is. But I want you to know, just like Joseph, when you say yes to God, that it's more than just your little tiny circumstance, like it was with Joseph. But God is writing a story in your life that is part of his grand story. Joseph couldn't have known that he was part of this great Christmas story that we celebrate 2,000 years later. He didn't know he'd be the model for nativity sets for 2,000 years. He didn't know kids would dress up like him and walk around with a stick and wear a pillowcase over their head and march every Christmas at their church production. 
He didn't know he'd be on Christmas cards and all those things. He was just being faithful in the moment to what God had revealed to him. And so it is with us. Can we be faithful to God? And we can do this. We can be faithful like Joseph because Jesus was faithful in going to the cross and bearing our reproach and our sin and our shame because he went before us. Because the baby that Joseph shepherded would one day be his great shepherd. The baby that would bear, for whom Joseph bore reproach and shame, would one day bear his reproach and shame on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that this baby has come, Jesus, fully God and fully human, and lived a perfect, sinless life, and went to the cross willingly, just as Joseph said yes to a hard and difficult life, Jesus said yes to the hardest and most difficult life. Just as Joseph said yes, Jesus said yes in the garden so that he can reconcile us to our Creator so that we can have salvation and forgiveness. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here today who is struggling and hurting this Christmas season, given a difficult assignment, that you would give them strength and grace to endure. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not yet have peace with God, who does not know the God of the universe, is not known by God through Jesus, that today would be the day that they might have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through this baby who's come to save his people from their sins. In your name we pray. Amen.